Now let's turn to God's Word and we look at the passages that we have read this evening and we will also look at one or two other relevant sections of Scripture as well. If you want a text, perhaps words you find in verse 42 might be appropriate. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. (coughs) I'm sure that any series of sermons on Bible women, especially at this time of year, would be seriously deficient if we failed to study the life of Mary, the mother of our Lord. There is no need to apologise for this. We don't for a moment accept that Mary herself was supernaturally conceived, as certain people do. Nor do we believe for a moment that Mary was born sinless. We don't believe either that Mary is someone whom we should worship, nor do we for a second accept that we have any right to regard Mary as a mediatrix, as a, a female mediator. We don't accept either that she always remained a virgin. The mind boggles at the very thought, because the Bible tells us that she had other sons and daughters. She had a son called James, a son called Joseph, and a son called Judas. And she had unnamed daughters. So we don't accept any of these things that so many people seem to accept regarding Mary on account of tradition handed down from past generations. In the Bible there are several Marys. In the New Testament there are at least six. Mary is a name that we can't be absolutely certain as to what it means. Uh, There are those who suggest that uh, the name Mary means beloved, whilst others suggest that the name Mary really comes from the word Mara, uh, which has a lot of connotations regarding bitterness. You know that the children of Israel found the waters of Mara bitter to drink. And you know that Naomi, as a result of her bitter experiences, said, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. Well, whatever can be said about the derivation of the name Mary, it is certainly true that Mary was beloved of God, and it is no less true that Mary had bitter experiences in her life. Mary came from a a humble little village. In fact, she came from a a background that, even in human terms, had nothing going for it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The question was asked. Mary didn't belong to a family who were in any sense prestigious in the community. She came from a a very, very humble home, a very lowly background, and yet she was beloved of God. 
God loved her and God favoured her above all others, as the Bible says. Blessed are you among women. Even in her own family, Mary knew bitterness because the Bible makes it clear that although her children eventually believed in Jesus, for long enough they refused to believe. So Mary knew the heartache of unbelieving children in her own family. But Mary didn't give up on them. And the time came when his brethren, who had not believed, came and worshipped him. This evening God is saying to us that no matter where we have come from, he's interested in us and wants to bless us. God's blessing does not depend on our coming from advantaged backgrounds. God is as interested in insignificant nations and towns and villages as he is in those communities that are highly regarded by men. God also comes to us and says to us, if we have the bitterness of unbelieving members of our own family bothering us, that we should not give up. That has happened with Mary, so it might happen with us. That we will yet have the joy of seeing our rebellious children come to faith in Christ. Mary didn't give up on them. Don't let us give up on them either. Well, there are many things that we could say about Mary based entirely on what the Bible teaches. In the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, in the opening two chapters... We read much about this woman. And in other parts of God's word, we've given several other interesting insights into her character. In John chapter 2, the story of the first miracle, Jesus changing the water into wine, there is reference there to Mary. In Mark 3 and Matthew 12, Mary at one stage thought that Jesus had gone mad and came to try and reason with them. And we can learn something from that. And then in John 19, 25, we see there that as Jesus is put to death on the cross, Mary, his mother, is near at hand. And finally in Acts 1, after his ascension, Mary is there in fellowship with the people of God. And I believe that these glimpses that we have of Mary in God's word have so much to teach us here tonight. And I just want to mention several things briefly that I think we can learn from a character study such as this. The first thing that I want to refer to is this, that Mary was clearly special in the estimation of God. Blessed are you among women. The Lord is with you. The Lord has highly honoured you and equipped you for service. And Mary in her song, which we'll look at in a few minutes, thanks God for the special way in which he has dealt with her as his child, for seeing her in her low condition and bringing her out of that low condition. Mary is clearly grateful to God 
for the special favour that he has bestowed upon her. Mary regards herself as being highly honoured, as being specially privileged. But you know, we could argue this evening that special although Mary's circumstances undoubtedly were, that special although the blessing undoubtedly was, there's a sense in which the same can be said of us if we're the Lord's people. If we're God's people tonight, we're also special in the estimation of God. We are his treasured <coughs> possession. We are his prized possession. He regards his people as belonging to himself. Christ regards every member of his family as being one with himself in every way. And although Mary received this special blessing of having Christ literally, physically formed within her womb, all God's people spiritually are exhorted to have Christ formed within their souls. Christ is to be formed in our souls if we are the people of God. God chose Mary and dealt with her in a special way. He's done the same for all his people. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the gospel is not so much for the mighty and for the wise and for the noble. Not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble are called. Although one preacher speaking on that text said we should be thankful that it says not many and doesn't say not any. Because if it said not any then that would leave the mighty and the wise and the noble out of it altogether. But what the Bible says is not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the weak. God has chosen the mean things of this world. God has chosen <coughs> the despised. God has chosen the ignoble and made them princes and princesses in his own royal family. So this evening I would say that just as Mary is special to the Lord, so all his people are special to the Lord. And I would ask, do you belong to the Lord? Are you special to him? Can you say that his favour spiritually rests on you, even as Mary could say <coughs> that his favour rested on her? The second thing I simply want to mention about Mary is her sanctity. She is clearly someone who is suitable for the task that the Lord is giving her. Gabriel says this to her in the address that we read of there in Luke chapter 1. The Lord is with you. You are clearly a vessel that is fit for the master's use. You are clearly someone whom the Lord regards as being suitable to give his son life. To bring him to birth. To have him at your breast. To bring him up in the world. Clearly Mary 
was a believer. And Elizabeth tells us that she was a believer. In verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Someone said, I don't know who, so I'll call him someone, Mary first conceived Christ in her heart by faith before she conceived Christ in the womb. She conceived him first in her heart by faith before she ever conceived him in her womb. Mary didn't laugh when she was told what was going to happen. Nor did she question in an unbelieving way. Yes, she questioned in order that she might understand more. And when she asked the question and received the answer, she accepted the answer that the angel gave. How can I have a child since I'm a virgin? She asked. A perfectly understandable question. Who wouldn't ask it? But she doesn't ask it in an unbelieving spirit. She asks it because she genuinely wants it to be answered. And the answer comes. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Did she laugh? Did she shake her head? Did she respond in an unbelieving way? No. What did she say? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. There we see her, her sanctity so clearly, her holiness. She is clearly someone who knows the Lord and accepts the Lord's will for her life. Does she not say herself, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's the saint. The person who can say, God my Savior. Are you a saint? Not asking, do you support the local football team? When I ask, are you a saint? I am simply asking, are you a believer in Christ? Is God your saviour? If God's your saviour, you're a saint. And if God's not your saviour, whatever else you are, you're not a saint in the biblical sense of the word. Mary is clearly aware of her own utter unworthiness. And yet does. She is aware of that and acknowledges that she advances all the time in holiness. Mary never saw herself as a sinless woman. Never. Mary's spirit rejoiced in God her Saviour. And if Mary was sinless, why would she need a Saviour? What's the point of God being her Saviour if she's sinless? Surely, her acknowledgement of God as Saviour shows that she's a saint. In the same sense as you and I are saints this evening, if God is our Saviour. And so I must ask, are we saints? Is God our Saviour? And when we ask questions of God, are we asking them out of unbelief, out of scepticism? Or are we asking them because we genuinely want to know and understand? There shall world of a difference 
between the sceptical question that's asked out of unbelief and the sincere question that's asked out of a genuine desire to know. The third thing about this woman, she's special, she's a saint, she is submissive to the Lord's will. There is an amazing acceptance of the Lord's will as we listen to what Mary has to say. We can even say that she doesn't just yield her soul to the Lord, she's prepared in a very liberal sense to give him her body as well. She's prepared to submit herself to the Lord's will for a life to the degree that within her soul, deity and humanity come together. God becomes man. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. There we have Jesus, the Son of Mary, the Son of God. If we believe that Christ himself is a miracle in his passion and in his works and in his words, then we have no reason to doubt that his incarnation, his becoming man, also happened in a miraculous way. In fact, it's impossible to account for his sinlessness if we don't accept the miraculous nature of how the Word became flesh. But the point that I want to highlight is that Mary was quite prepared to submit to the Lord's will to such an extent that this actually took place within her own womb. She is prepared to submit totally to God's will for her life. What about you? What about me? Are we prepared to submit our minds and everything else that is offset to the will of God? To submit our intelligence to the one whose thoughts are above our thoughts and whose ways are above our ways. When we talk about submitting our intelligence, we're not talking of sacrifices, sacrificing our intelligence and stopping to think, stopping thinking. But we're submitting in the sense of bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. God's word says that to obey is better than sacrifice. Maybe just now some of us might feel that we're making sacrifices even as we give to loved ones at Christmas. And sometimes we might even be giving and perhaps wishing that we didn't have to give quite so much. I hope not, but that could happen. Well, the Bible says that to obey is better than sacrifice. That it's the spirit that submits to the Lord's will for our life that God is interested in. And if we're not Christians this evening, the first thing God wants us to do is submit to the claims of Christ. Accept his lordship. With all that that involves. And if we are his people, he wants us like Mary. And every step we take, 
to yield to him and to give out all to him whom we say we believe gave his all for us. So Mary is special. Mary is a saint. Mary submits to the Lord's will for her life. And then we read in Luke chapter 1 of Mary's song. And someone says that this is a hymn of true humility before the Lord. I don't want to go into it in any detail this evening. But in the song, Mary praises God for what he's done for her. A poor peasant girl praising the Lord. Do we praise the Lord for all that he's been doing in our lives? In her song, she says that the mercy of God extends from generation to generation. She acknowledges the loving kindness of the Lord. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That includes this generation in which we find ourselves living tonight. Can I ask, has his mercy extended towards you? Of course it has. Can I ask further, have you accepted that mercy which has extended towards you in the gospel? That's what Mary praised God for. That his mercy was to extend from generation to generation. Do you praise God for that? Why should you? Why should we receive God's mercy? Because Mary goes on to contrast the mercy of God with the judgment of God on those who do not fear him. We saw this morning, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We saw that we have but two choices. We either accept and are no longer under condemnation, or we reject and are therefore condemned already. Mary says in her song that the mercy of God is to be seen in sharp contrast with God's dealings with those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, with those who will set themselves up. God will bring them down and God will lift the humble. Mary's song has, Mary's Magnifica has so, so much to teach us. Mary tells us too that the manifestation of God's mercy in Christ is the fulfillment of the promises made by the prophets of old. Do you recognize in Jesus Christ the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies of God? Do you tonight have a new song in your heart, rejoicing in God your Saviour. Mary's Magnifica speaks to us clearly of how important it is that we in our lives, that we not only glorify God, but that we actually know what it is to enjoy God. Mary's Magnifica shows that it is the favour of God that makes us rich, and that adds no sorrow. And Mary's Magnifica also speaks to us of how very personal a matter salvation is. Now I'm not going to elaborate further on the Magnifica tonight. But clearly, as Hannah had a song, we studied that song a fortnight ago. So here Mary also has a song. And if we're the Lord's people, we too have a song. 
This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. If I know anything of God's mercy to me in Christ, if I know anything of what it is to have God lift me up and fill my hungry soul with good things, then no less than Mary, I have a right to sing of the Lord's grace and of the Lord's goodness towards me. So I have to ask, has the Lord put this new song in your mouth and in your heart? the song of Mary. Well, what have we seen so far? Mary was special. We've seen that, haven't we? Mary was a saint. Mary was prepared to submit to the Lord's will. Mary had this new song on her lips because of the joy that she knew in her heart. And Mary was prepared to devote herself to serve her Lord. Mary didn't just give him birth. Mary was prepared to bring him up, to love him and to care for him. She presented him at the temple as we saw in our reading. And she could only afford to bring a pair of pigeons. She didn't have much of this world's goods. Her husband, his stepfather, if you call it that, was someone who had to eat out a living as a carpenter. Make ends meet. But Mary did what she could for her Lord. Mary looked after him lovingly and willingly. And Mary fulfilled all her parental obligations towards her son. And Mary was someone who delighted in her soul as she saw her son grow spiritually and physically and in favour with man and with God. I think I got that the, the wrong way around, but we read there at the end of verse 52 of chapter 2 that after the incident in the temple at the age of 12, which was a very interesting incident and which we'll look at, no doubt, on some other occasion, Mary was the one who seemed to realise more than anyone else the spiritual significance of what happened. You remember the story. There we have it, the boy Jesus at the temple. Luke 2, 41 through to 52. The story of how he, he went up to the temple and of how his parents didn't realise that he was no longer in their company and how they went back and found him in the temple courts. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, if that was all we were told, we might conclude that, that, that Mary was at fault here. And of course, there's a sense in which she was. She, Mary, like all of us, couldn't take it all in. But this, to me, is the significant bit. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother pressured all those things in her heart. And I think that phrase, pressured all those things in her heart, is telling us more than it might appear to be telling us on the surface. I think it's telling us that she really came to understand and love all that her son stood for. She began to see more and more as time went on, the 
spiritual significance of having such a son entrusted to her. And she was prepared, it would appear, for 30 years to lovingly care for this special son. And what a joy it must have given her as she saw Jesus growing, developing in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. She was a model mother from birth till the time he began his public ministry. She served him in every way she could. Can I ask this evening, are we doing all that we can for our Lord? As I said, Mary couldn't give him much in terms of this world's case, but she gave him her love. She gave him her care. She gave him all that she had. That's what the Lord asks of us. What can I give? Poor as I am. If I were a rich man, I would bring a lamb. What can I give? Give him my heart. That's what the Lord is looking for. He wants us to give him our hearts that we might enter into his service. Can it be said of you regarding Christ? He has done, she has done what she could. How many of us this evening are serving the Lord even as Mary sought to serve him? Well, if we are like Mary, we will almost inevitably have our fair measure too of sadness and of suffering and of sorrow. So far, most of what we have said would speak of the beloved way in which God viewed Mary, his child. But I mentioned at the beginning that although she was beloved, there was bitterness in her life also. As an infant, as we saw, Jesus was blessed by Simeon. And what was it Mary was told? Mary was told this by Simeon there in verse, whatever it is, in Luke chapter, chapter 2, verse 50, whatever, that a sword would pierce. There we have it, verse 35. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There she is presenting this eight-year-old loved son of hers in the temple and she's told that a sword would pierce her heart. Delight and darkness at the same time. She realises that the son is going to suffer as no other son has ever suffered. There were many things that she had to keep to herself. But she had to treasure, ponder in her heart. She knew that the time was going to come when her son would suffer for the sins of the world. There was a sense in which she was conscious of it perhaps increasingly as time went on. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't just suffer for our sins on the cross. The Bible tells us that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. A veil is drawn over much of his first 30 years. But during his public ministry, there is much evidence of suffering in this man's life. 
She even had the, the very human heartache of seeing her son leave home, never again to return. He went away, and when he went back to preach to his own people in Nazareth, they tried to stone him. They tried to put him to death. And he went away and never came back. She had the heartache, the sadness, the sorrow of seeing her own son rejected by her own people. And how that must have grieved her. How that must have cut her to the quick. And yet, Mary recognised all along who her son was. She was prepared to encourage others to acknowledge his every word as being the word of God. John 2, the story of the miracle of the water into wine. Whatever he says to you, do. There in that interesting incident, Jesus doesn't even call her mother. He calls her dear woman. Perhaps indicating that there was now a change in their relationship. He wasn't being cold and aloof. He wasn't cutting her off. He speaks to her in very warm terms. Dear woman. But by his very use of the word woman. There is evidence that now he has gone away from home. Never to return. He has now engaged on a ministry from which he simply cannot go back. And there was a time, as I've already said, when Mary couldn't understand what he was doing. When Mary and her family came to try and reason with him. To try and talk sense into him. Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are here. They're looking for you. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looked at those who were seated around him and he said, Here are my mother and my sister and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, belongs to my family. But she must have felt it keenly. There must have been this genuine confusion even, this, this suffering as she, as she sees her son go off on a, into a ministry that she couldn't fully understand and even though she knew him as her saviour and knew that it was the work of redemption that he was to be accomplished that he was to accomplish yet she had to go through the awful agony at last of seeing her son nailed to that awful cross near the cross of Jesus we read in John 19 stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the mother of Clopas and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time the disciple, and it was seemed to have been John, took her into his own home. Pete calls this the word of affection that came from the cross. But here, as she stands courageously beside the cross, we can only, we can only attempt to, to understand the sorrow and the suffering that she must have experienced in her soul. There's the sun whom she was so privileged to bring into the world, 
There's the son whom she knows to be her saviour and is despised and rejected. He's desolate and derelict. He's dying. The people are blaspheming. In every sense the lights have gone out. But Mary's love hasn't been extinguished, nor has her faith, nor has her hope. She's no stranger to sorrow, but there's been no sorrow like this sorrow. There she stands, silently suffering as she sees the effect of her own sin and the sin of all for whom he died on her son. What suffering can be deeper than that? The conviction, the brokenness that she must have known in her soul, how passionate it must have been, how poignant it must have been as she realized that he's there for her as he is for all his people and that what her sins deserved, he lovingly takes in her place. Let me ask you this evening as I ask myself, do you know anything of this sorrow? As you see what your sins have done to the Son of God. Do you know anything of what it is to shed tears in your soul? Tears of sadness and at the same time tears of joy as you realize that he suffered for your sins because he loved you and was prepared to go all the way to preach. For you, does the story of Bethlehem take you to Calvary? Does the child in the manger take you to the man on the cross? And as you survey his life and see him bearing your sin himself in his own body to that cross, do you know anything of what it means to enter with him into the fellowship of suffering for his sake. Well, it's clear, and this is the last point, the very last, it's clear that Mary not only understood what was happening, but accepted that salvation which her son had come to bring her. Because the last sight we have of Mary is in Acts chapter 1, where we read that after the ascension, the disciples returned to Jerusalem and all joined in prayer in an upper room, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The last glimpse we have of Mary in the Bible is of a woman who's worshipping her God. There in the upper room, Worshipping that son of hers whom she knows to be the son of God. Joining together. Taking her place with God's people. Praising his name. What about you? Has this sight ever been seen of you by God? Has God ever seen you where he saw Mary? With his people praising his name, participating in the prayer meeting, 
to the glory of Christ and patiently waiting for the Lord to come and show them what he wanted them to do in this that lay ahead. So that's where he finds us this evening. They were waiting there for the Spirit that when the Spirit would come they would go and serve this risen ascended Christ. As he views this congregation tonight pulpit and, and seat alike does he see us as a people who like Mary and the disciples and the woman folk are joining together in prayer praising the Lord and prepared to do whatever he wants us to do Mary was special so are we if we're the Lord's people Mary was a saint so are we if we're the Lord's people Mary was submissive so must we be if we're the Lord's people Mary served the Lord so must we if we're his people Mary knew suffering and so will we if we are prepared to identify ourselves fully with Christ Mary was seen by God and is still seen by God tonight with his people praising his name is that where he sees you is that where he sees me this evening may it be the case for his glory's sake Amen Lord may just thankful for your word and even although we may have glossed over certain passages this evening that we might have considered we pray that enough has been said that would encourage us to seek to follow Mary's example insofar as she followed her Lord give us all grace so to do for Jesus' sake Amen.